Welcome back to Croconomics, where we talk about important issues around the globe with important people while I wear Crocs. Today we will be joined by Jose de Arimadia de Cruz, who is the Professor of International Relations and International Studies at Georgia Southern University. We will be continuing our discussion of AFRICOM and U.S. Africa policy today. So the first thing I want to start off with is how how do you how have you seen the landscape of U.S. and U.S. affairs in Africa change post 9/11, and how have you seen that change again post Obama? So we can start post 9/11. Well, you know, I think post 9/11, uh, U.S. foreign policy towards the entire world changed, but mm-hmm. uh, you know we. Kind of, kind of, we kind of forgot a little bit about, to be honest with you, Latin America, Central America, mm-hmm. and Africa, and focus more specifically on the Middle East. So, in the post 9 11 world, you saw the shift in foreign policy more towards the Middle East at the expense of other areas of the world, mm-hmm. Africa being one of them. You know, so, uh, and Obama, when he comes into office, you know, he, rather than f- take a different approach to foreign policy, pretty much continuated the policy of uh, George Bush, of President Bush. You know, so in terms of benign neglect, that's, that was the position of Africa and Latin America and the rest of the world, because the, the Obama administration pretty much implemented all the foreign policies of the Bush administration, especially in the post 9-11 world. So how do you see, what do you see Obama's impact on that being like, like in the Trump era, how did Obama's um, politics and Obama's doings in Africa affect what we see now today happening? Well, I I don't, I don't think, you know, we're talking about two different administrations. Yeah. Whenever, whenever an administration comes to power, it has its own political agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, both the George Bush administration and the Obama administration, pretty much the focus was on the Middle East. When you see uh, President Trump comes to power, then the focus is on specific countries. For example, uh, in the Middle East, the focus was always on Iran. And also uh, the state of Israel and try to sort of create a fictional peace in the Middle East by bringing the state of Israel and other countries together, which, you know, uh, it's easy said, uh, it's easy said than done because, you know, in the Middle East, we have a very complex region in which in order to have peace, Ultimately, you're going to have to have Iran sitting at the table, whether you like it or not. You know, so that has been one of the problems uh, with the current administration. Uh, Despite its effort to bring peace, it continues to isolate a key member of that region that ultimately, uh, whether we like it or not, dictate the outcome of a lot of regional uh, treaties and so forth, and that's Iran. Has attempted both hard power and soft power, and they've attempted that to assert that over Africa. 
but you wrote that AFRICOM is the continuation of their attempt to assert smart power over Africa. Can you tell us and provide insight into what exactly you see smart power being and how you see them attempting to use that power? Well, you know, when I wrote that article, you know, the, the argument that I was trying to make was essentially, you know, if you're going to create a command center, and if you're going to claim that that command center is going to be for, to, for a region of the world, it needs to be located within that region, right? So uh, the African command center is located in Stuttgart, Germany. You know, it's not located within uh, the continent of Africa. Obviously, where to locate this command center in Africa becomes a, a matter of politics, right? Because do you put this, the, this command center in Nigeria, which is already a dominant player within the region, and now it's going to have uh, this command center? Do you put it in Kenya, which is already a big major player? So there's always a question of where to put it. So in order to kind of not to upset any of the big regional player, the decision was made to put in Stuttgart. So I thought, and I continue to think that, you know, it's a really uh, sort of a poor judgment uh, on, the, on the part of the administration, because I think that in order to be a greater presence, given everything that's happened in the continent of Africa, in Nigeria, especially in the, in the, in the Delta region, uh, in uh, Somalia, in Kenya, you know, all the Al-Shabaab and all the other terrorist group. Mm -hmm. I think that the African would play a much bigger role if you were located within the continent, you know, and that way the United States could usually, you know, could have a great impact. And I still believe that today. Mm -hmm. So, so do you think the United States should have a bigger impact or a bigger presence in Africa? Well, I will, I will, you know, we do have a presence in, yeah. in, in African countries, right? Mm -hmm. We have, you know, uh, military advisor, uh, a lot of people in that, you know, uh, in that advisory capacity, including our embassies, you know, but I really would like to see a great involvement in terms of broader reaching, you know, diplomacy, development, and defense, you know, mm -hmm. and have a sort of this, you know, a whole of government approach where you have several interagency, you know, uh, helping each other, mm -hmm. collaborating uh, to, you know, to foster a better understanding of the African continent and also, you know, the forces that drive conflict and, and, and so forth in the region. So that's why, you know, I said that I, I, I would like to see a, the U.S. playing a bigger role rather than just focus on, you know, conflict or insurgency or counterinsurgency. Yeah, yeah. So you believe that there should be more diplomatic focus as well. Since you wrote that article in 2010, do you think the, their strategy in AFRICOM has sort of stayed the same or has it changed? For the worse or for the better? Well, the, the, it really depends who you ask, to be honest with you. You know, from, from my point of view, you know, we, we kind of have forgotten to a certain extent uh, 
the African continent completely. And again, yeah. that's not that's not because it's Obama, Trump, or anybody else. It's just the uh, events happen in the world, and then you have to focus your priorities, mm-hmm. right? So after 9-11, the Middle East, the greater Middle East, you know, uh, became a problem. And then mm-hmm. you had to deal with, you know, Afghanistan and the Taliban's and so forth. So, so it's no fault of anybody. It's just the fact that we have a tendency to treat uh, the African continent as a, as almost as as an afterthought, uh, right? When something mm-hmm. bad happened, then we take uh, this kind of uh, reactive approach rather than a proactive, which would be you know, dealing with the continent, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about 53 African countries, okay, more than 80 ethnic groups, over about 1000, over 1000 languages, and about 11.2.3 million square miles, you know, so that's a huge, huge place to deal with. And then, and if you don't have a, a really good understanding of the diversity in terms of uh, culture, tradition, values, and so forth, you know, it becomes almost like a, a roadblock towards, you know, the, uh, success. So that's why I think that, you know, uh, we could do a much better job within, uh, within the continent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, right now there's no necessarily unified strategy and I think it's causing a lot of harm. Um, So one other thing, so the Intercept actually recently, they published an investigation of their findings about um, the Africa Command. And they said that the US, the number of US military personnel on the continent has jumped 170% um, from 2,600 to 7,000 military personnel on the continent and so the the number of military missions and activities has also risen and drone strikes have soared as well so how do you how do you think that that is impacting the african continent right now and how do you think that we should use the military in the african continent um well yeah first of all that number that you just quoted you have to remember that that number includes assigned military personnel, but also includes civilian employees and U.S. contractors. Okay, so the number, uh, so the the military numbers. You know, I don't I don't have the numbers with me. I haven't looked at the at the data, but if you take a look, it's probably uh, I don't know. You'll probably be. Well, the, I think the, the latest number that I saw was roughly about 2,000, you know. So if you take a look and, you, and if you take a look at assigned personnel, including military, U.S. federal employees and, and contractors, then we're talking about about 1,400 people working at the command's headquarters, and the rest are someplace else, you know. So... You know, so we're to, despite of this big jump in the number, we have to remember that those individuals are not within the continent of Africa. Rather, they are within Stuttgart, <laughs> right? So they're trying. So they're trying to to conduct their business from 
you know, thousands of miles away rather than be present at, at, at the region. So, uh, so that's something for you, for, for, for us to keep in mind. So what was the la latter part of your question? Sorry again. Yeah. Uh, so it was how, how do you think the military could be used more effectively in oh, yeah. Africa? Oh in yeah. No, I, no, that's, that's a, that's a, I mean, that's an important, uh, part was why the U.S. Uh, African Command was created, you know. Uh, I think given the threats, uh, insurgents and uh, extremists and terrorist organization, Al-Shabaab and others, and uh, I think the, the U.S. Cyber Command, uh, the U.S. Uh, Africa Command has a very important role, okay. But that needs to be done in collaboration with partners across the region, because the problems that, that we're facing the African continent, they're transnational uh, threats, okay? And uh, so that requires sort of a, you know, a, an interagency approach. We have to have you know, the US leading the training exercise uh, intelligence sharing, every other things with the African armies, but they are the one that ultimately are responsible for their uh, sovereign state. You know, so that's the role that I that I would like to see the U.S. playing more of uh, you know collaboration, mm -hmm. uh, information sharing, training, exercise, yeah. and so forth. You know, uh, so that way the African countries and militaries would be the one responsible for uh, their sovereign territory. Yeah, so do you think um, the reason why that, like there is not as much transparency right now and not as much collaboration with different African countries' um, governments is, is because of one certain like individual or one like the intent of the African command? Or do you believe that the reason why that's happening right now is more just like it happened to happen that way and it was not the intent for the U.S. to be like not that much in collaboration with different African countries. Well, you know, the, the U.S. is in very it's in a lot of collaboration with African countries. Uh, I mean, they have if you go to the website, you can read some of the military exercise that takes place yeah. every year. OK, uh, the last one. Uh, I can't remember what's the name. What's what was the name? But it usually takes place in June, July. You know, so the U.S. continues to uh, collaborate. You know, obviously, you know, you're dealing with with countries in the region yeah. that a lot of times lack the critical infrastructure, lacks the uh, sort of the paper maintenance that is, you know, that you see in the United States, keeping tracks of things, okay? So that could be a part of the problem. But I think, you know, when the U.S. engage with African countries, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in the public records. You can see by, uh, depends what, what ambassador is involved with the country at the time. Uh, you see a great deal of uh, communique or memorandum, uh, memorandum of understanding between the countries. So I think you know, uh, there is a lot of transparency, 
but not as much as some of us would like to see. Yeah. And do you think there, there has been enough transparency with um, people in these African countries? Because I know in your article you wrote that you think that there's a lot of misperception of what Africans' work is. Yeah. Well, I, I I think so. I th- well, if remember when I when I when I wrote that article. Yeah. Was, uh, was it 2000 and 2010? So it was a decade 2010, ago. right? So the African Command Center was was about uh, what three years old. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. it was created in in 07, but really didn't come into effect until 08. Yeah. So that was only about two years, October October 1st, 2008, when it was fully operational. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, yes, there was that misperception within the African continent that this was just another attempt by the United States to continue its colonial legacy. I think today, if you talk to most people, uh, I don't think they see like that. They mm-hmm. see as the United States playing a vital role within the continent, providing uh, military, economic assistance, uh, intelligence sharing, and so forth. So I think the perception has changed since. The headline of your article, or the title of your article, was Building Partnership or Neocolonization of neocolonialism of U.S.-Africa relations. Do you believe that now AFRICOM is being used as a tool of building partnership and genuine humanitarian help for countries in Africa? Or do you believe that it is being used as a modern-day tool for neocolonization? Well, I, I, I believe, again, I was writing that article uh, after the command center was in existence for two years, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in hindsight, you know, uh, you know, I think it has been a true partnership. Okay. I really think, I really think so. I think the United States has uh, been a true partner to African countries uh, in, in terms of security cooperation, uh, exercise, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, there are still some leaders within the continent that continues to have that perception of the U.S. as, as sort of this new colonial, you know, power, right? So, but that's 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 less and less as the old dinosaurs, like you know, like Mugabe, uh, uh, Gaddafi, uh, and others are gone, right? So mm-hmm. you begin to see this new leadership, you know, that that sees the United States, you know, differently. And I think it would be really interesting to see, you know, what the Joe, uh, the Biden-Harris administration, uh, what approach they'll take to Africa, given the fact that, uh, you know, their Secretary of Defense is an African-American, military four-star general. Uh, you know, so who is from from georgia you know you know so it'll be interesting to see uh what this new new administration brings you know uh or is it going to continue to get bucked down on certain countries so uh, so it'll be interesting to see yeah yeah definitely i'm interested to see what exactly their plans are for, yeah. for that
This episode was produced by Tobias Paperno from his studio in his living room on GarageBand, and this project was made possible by Mr. Moscow's International Political Economy class at the Beacon School. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week. Thank you.